Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Eyes on Earth, a podcast that focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people from across the United States and the world who use remote sensing to help us monitor and study the health and well-being of our Earth. I'm your host, Steve Young. Today's guest is Dr. Volker Radiloff, a professor in the Department of Forest and Wildlife Ecology at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Welcome, Dr. Radiloff. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you have used declassified images from the archive at Eros in your work. How, how so? Yeah, so that was work in, that we did in Eastern Europe. The D-class data is data that was taken by uh, U.S. essentially spy satellites, rockets that took cameras into space to take photos on the ground in the late 60s and throughout the 1970s and 80s. So that data is available now. It's black and white photography, so it's a little bit different, but it's very high resolution. It's about two meters, six feet resolution, so we can see a lot of detail on where houses are, where farm fields are, on the land use pattern in, in that era. It's really exciting because it predates what we can get from the Landsat record by a decade or two. And that is important because when the Landsat imagery kicks into place, it was already the end of the Soviet Union and things had started to change in the mid-80s or so. Whereas with the 1970s data, we captured the peak of the Soviet era. So when you get that information, what do you do with it? So we have done one study in Romania. In Romania, there was a lot of logging after World War II because Romania was on the side of Nazi Germany in World War II and had to pay reparation to the Soviet Union. Romania is a poor country, so the way it paid was either with oil or with timber. And they harvested entire watersheds. So they would harvest 50,000 acres at a time or so. And with the corona data, this, these harvests happened in the 1950s, 1960s. We can see those harvests. We cannot see them in the Landsat record because it's too late. So we were able to make an analysis of all of Romania looking at those harvests, which were far more extensive than anything since. But in the corona data, the, the data is so detailed that in addition to the clear cuts, we could even see the rafts of the logs on the rivers that they use to transport them down. It's, it's fun. I've worked with satellite data for a long time. The level of detail we can see in the 1960s in many places exceeds what we can see now. Do you have any idea what we were interested in when we were taking those images? Oh, with yes. The, the Corona program has been credited with keeping the Cold War cold. And the goal was to count the assets the, the Russian military has, especially intercontinental ballistic missiles. And it was very successful in doing that. And thanks to that, previous estimates uh, of Soviet capabilities that were much, much higher were kind of put into place. So the Soviets had plenty of rockets, but not as many as we feared before we could count them. You are studying long-term land degradation in the Caucasus. What does that mean? What are you interested in? Yeah. So now we're working in the Caucasus Mountains, again with corona data. And the Caucasus Mountains are between Turkey, which was a NATO, or is a NATO member, and, and Soviet uh, Russia, so that area of high strategic importance. So we get a lot, a lot of imagery for the Caucasus Mountains for the 1970s, and we're interested to see how the land use has changed from those Soviet-era times then with the collapse of the Soviet Union, with a lot of wars in the Caucasus to today, and things change pretty drastically. The Soviet Union broke down country borders, but after the collapse, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan became their own countries. And that changed where they could sell their products and things, who they would trade with and so forth. Uh, 
that also changed how the forests were used and how the grasslands were used. And on the forest side, there used to be quite a bit of a logging industry there for the manufacturing of furniture that ceased. But on the other end, people needed fuel wood because uh, they no longer had access to cheap heating materials otherwise. So that caused degradation in the forests of the Caucasus because people went out and cut trees here and there. And that is something where we can use Landsat data to monitor it, but it's a little bit different than the monitoring of deforestation because this logging of trees here and there causes a degradation of the forest, but not quite as drastic as a signal than when we remove the entire forest. The other thing happened in the grasslands, that some areas were overgrazed, and so at uh, that point there was higher soil erosion and so forth. One example is that in the past, Georgian shepherders would every year migrate with their herds to the northern Caucasus, to the Russian side, and had done so for over a thousand years or so, and have winter grazing areas there. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, those migrations were interrupted. Now they're grazing in Georgia, and that changes where the grasslands are being degraded. I think you made reference to the fact that you've you've studied uh, Chernobyl. Yeah, so what we studied in general was the land use change after the collapse of the Soviet Union throughout Eastern Europe. And Chernobyl is a particularly fascinating place because in 1986, the reactor exploded and they created what they called the exclusion zone. So within 50 kilometers, everybody had to leave. They were forcefully resettled. So that is an extreme example of agricultural abandonment because no one is living there anymore. In 1991, the Soviet Union collapses. And so now we can look at what happens after that due to the socioeconomic shock, which was severe. Within one year, the GDP of the Soviet Union slash Russia was cut in half. And the interesting thing is that the effect of the socioeconomic shock on land abandonment in the Ukraine were just as severe as the explosion of the reactor. The rates of abandonment were the same outside of the exclusion zone after 1991. It was that extreme. We have areas for the northern Russia near Smolensk, where 80% of all farm fields have been abandoned and forests are regrowing. Now, that's a rate of abandonment that is very, very rare. In the U.S., we also had abandonment in the Northeast when people gave up farming in New Hampshire and moved to, to South Dakota or so, but it was over a much longer period in Eastern Europe that happened very rapidly. And Chernobyl gives us a nice reference point because it was such an extreme event. But the socioeconomic shock in many regions had the same effect without the explosion of a nuclear reactor. How did you become aware of corona images? I had heard of the corona images for a while, and it was declassified initially already in the 1990s. And there were great documentaries showing how the corona capsules would be sent down from space with parachutes that airplanes would catch uh, over the Pacific and so forth. So I was just fascinated by that. But then I thought for a while, just given my work in Eastern Europe, that having imagery from the 60s would be really important. And we started a project. We had a Fulbright scholar who came from Romania, who had a lot of experience georectifying imagery from drones. And he got the corona bug. <laughs> he started working with a software that's called Structure for Motion that can handle data from platforms that are not so stable. And corona is like that or so, and could rectify this with 14 meter accuracy, half a Lancet pixel or so. 
And that all of a sudden then opened the opportunity to do large area mapping. And, and were you aware that we had this corona imagery available here at Eros, or how did you become aware of that? Well, I knew we can order it through the National Archives, and then when we started ordering more, I learned that the, the actual imagery is, is at Eros, and all the scanning is done here or so. And then at some of the meetings I, I go to, where we talk about land cover land use change, some of the contractors were there and they recognized my name and said, oh, you are one of our bigger users. <laughs> so we started chatting. So uh, this morning I had a chance actually to see the scanning operation and go down in the archives. It's very impressive to see. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought of that. You saw not only the scanning, but the film archive. So It's immense. <laughs> yes. And it is so neatly organized and everything. I mean, clearly the films are in good hands here or so, but it's such a rich data source that my secret hope is at some point the USGS will do with the corona data what was done with the Landsat data and scan the entire archive and make it freely available. And I think that would change how the community is using it. So right now, even within the Landsat science team or with the, in, in the remote sensing community, people are aware of corona, but the, there is a barrier to use. It's, it, and lowering that barrier, I think, would be great. We've been talking to Dr. Volker Radloff about his work in the Caucasus and with Chernobyl. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation, Dr. Radloff, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Okay, we hope you come back for the next episode of Eyes on Earth. This is a podcast that is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey Department of the Interior. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>